so many people hate their own response to the following question. So what does your company actually do? Because in this moment, my friend, you have three options, okay? Number one, pitch slap your prospect. Number two, fumble your way through a long-winded response. And number three, deliver a punchy elevator story that sparks intrigue. Now, if you're nodding your head at number three, but you're like, hold up, I don't even know where to begin, then hey, don't worry. I've got your back. All right, head on down to www.theraviregiani.com forward slash your elevator story to unlock your very own free elevator story script, template, and guide. Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. In June 2007, Nicole Lusk started her career in sales for a recycling services company based in Denver. And 15 years later, she's the principal sales enablement advisor over at Oracle NetSuite. And people, she hasn't looked back. She hasn't looked back. And it's safe to say that she's obsessed with bringing together women in the world of sales, all things sales training, and all things being a student for life. She's truly obsessed with learning. But here's what I've personally noticed about Nicole since we first connected, probably about a month ago now. She's a straight shooter, okay, which I like. She's got infectious energy and she has a positive attitude to go with it, which in today's world, people, I think it's rare. I think it's rare. And in today, well, I suppose in today's episode, I wanted to sit down with Nicole and unpack her communication strategies on how to communicate internally for cross-departmental collaboration and effectiveness. Welcome to the show, my friend. What is good? Thank you. Wow, that's quite an intro. (laughs) I'm going to have you write all my intros from now on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've got some really interesting experience, right? As you, I suppose, started as a sales rep, went into sales leadership, and then moved over to the dark side into enablement, which I suppose moves nicely to the question of, Nicole, what's one part of your story that you think the audience needs to understand in this moment so that they can gain more context on who you are as a human being today? Hmm, Okay. I think my favorite part of my story or journey from sales rep to sales enablement is when I became a sales trainer at Dish. Before I was there, I kind of had this perception, which I'm sure a lot of people do, but we don't really talk about it a lot in sales, which is that sales is sleazy. Like a lot of people outside of sales think, you know, oh, salespeople are pushy or, you know, I don't want to be sold to. And it kind of has this bad rap. And I see you smiling because I we all know that it's kind of true. I think a lot of salespeople have trouble embracing that. I certainly mm. did when I first became a salesperson. And then I went to Dish and they had an amazing sales training program. And we actually learned about you know, value selling and understanding your customers' needs and right sizing and 
I figured out that you don't have to be sleazy to be good at sales. You just have to, one, believe in what you're selling and two, really listen to your customer and understand how to help them make a decision. And so once I figured that out through really good sales training, that's when I figured out I want to be in sales training. I want to help other people sell correctly and in a way that you can feel good about it. So I always describe it when I became a sales trainer as like the clouds parted and the sun shone through and the angels started singing. And I was like, this is this is what I'm meant to do. <laughs> so I like that. And speaking of sleazy salespeople, what's you'd have to name names, right? But what's the sleaziest <laughs> thing a seller has said to you recently, whether it's in the DMs on LinkedIn, whether it's on a call, like what's one thing you've heard and you were like, okay, yuck with a capital Y. I had to think of the, the, the word letter there, but yeah, why? Yuck. Ooh, that's a, that's a good one. And it's a hard one to answer because I'm going to be totally honest. I don't read most salespeople's really? messages. Okay. Unless it's super personalized and they're following a good touch plan to, you know, break through the noise. And usually then they they have good messaging. So I really just don't read them. Honestly, there's too many to wade through. But I can share that part of what gave me that perception as a new seller was, I'm not going to name any names, but a specific person on the team who was, you know, just selling the customer. We had a bad comp plan to be fair, but was just overselling the customer. And it was an interesting role there because we were a combination of customer service, account manager and sales. Mm. So we sold customers, but we also had to process their service changes if they needed to decrease service. And that penalized us from a quota perspective. So if my peer was overselling and then I get the call back to fix it, then I'm penalized for it. And that was just a really bad example of, you know, overselling a customer because they didn't know what they were needing. And then everybody else is kind of paying the consequences. Well, as you said, there's a difference between overselling and over delivering. And I know you, my friend, like to do the latter because I know what you bought your husband for his birthday, right? You (laughs) over delivered on that birthday to the point where I told my wife, I was like, listen, I went back afterwards with a bit of envy. I was like, you better do me good on my birthday, Nicole. You actually, actually, hold on. I was, I was going to say Nicole and I nearly said Nikki because I know your friends call you Nikki. So are we at the wavelength where I can say Nikki or are you demoting me to Nicole? Where where am I right now? <laughs> no, you can totally call me Nikki all day. All right, Nikki. Perfect. So Nikki, tell, <laughs> tell everybody what you got your husband for his birthday. And people get the list, get the pen and paper out because it's a list. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Well, so the first thing I got was there's this really cool like art installation place here called Meow Wolf. If you're in the US, you've probably heard of it. They have a few locations. They have one here in Denver where we live. So I got him tickets to emo night at Meow Wolf because we really love emo music. And I forgot that I bought him that. And then I also bought him a year long pass to the paintball field near us because he loves paintballing. And then we did hibachi for his birthday, which is always an an event. So he was definitely spoiled this year. So cool. So I love how you forgot that you bought him something. You were probably surprised when he said, oh, thank you for thank you for that gift. Because you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When I when I bought the pass to the paintball, I was like, "Okay, this is a really good gift. And I was like, wait a second. I already bought you a gift. (laughs) Oh, well, I guess we're doing both. <laughs> Did you tell him, listen, I'm expecting something good on my birthday? Are you being gracious? Because I'd say, listen, I'm expecting something good, Sophie, on my birthday. <laughs> I'm not that gracious. 
I have said that. <laughs> yes. Like you better, you better be <laughs> do something good on my birthday. But when it actually comes down to it, I know he's going to be like, what do you want to do? And I'm going to be like, I don't know. Nothing. And then, so we'll see. We'll see. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm not as high maintenance as him. I'll say that for sure. Okay. We, we won't edit that out, that bit out as well, right? <laughs> We're going to keep that in. I'm going to put that in the trailer. Nikki calls husband high maintenance. That's going to be the hook. It won't be a surprise to him. So that's okay. You can leave it in. All right. It's good. Open communication, right? And I suppose that leads beautifully into today's episode of open communication, right? And I don't know about you, but I think back to my time as a sales leader and the silos that often occur between sales, onboarding, and customer success, and the friction that can happen around comp plans and budgets. And it can be really, really tricky. But I suppose, why do you think it's so hard to break down silos in the revenue world when Realistically, everybody is at the most simplistic level working towards the same goal. I think one thing that makes it really challenging is questioning people's motivations. Hmm. So in sales, we know that, you know, we're paid commission. Everybody knows that. And I think that that's a perception is that that is driving most things. I think that's a challenge in communication in general is, you know, not knowing the other person's motivation and trying to figure that out. Which is why I do try to be as transparent as possible, call that out and just say, like, here's how it is. You don't ever have to question with me on, you know, what I'm thinking or, or what's motivating me because I always want it to be totally transparent. I'm happy to always share a backstory or whatever there is to make sure that we can, you know, be on a level transparent playing field and communicate openly. But I really think it, it has to do with questioning people's motivations. On that piece about transparent communication, that's funny because that's, I'd say that's the first thing I noticed about you when we first connected is there was no, in a good way, there was no filter. Like what you see is what you get. And I'm curious because it's a superpower of yours, I believe. I bet there's also times where it might have worked against you, where maybe you've been too transparent in the moment. Somebody's like, oh, that didn't sit well with me. So has that superpower ever worked against you? Yes, definitely 100%. I've never thought of it as a superpower. So thanks for the compliment. It 100% has worked against me. It's something that I think about a lot. And I've honestly decided personally that it's just not worth the hassle to worry about a filter. Mm. I would rather just be transparent. And if it gets me into trouble, well, then <laughs> I don't mind being in trouble, which is probably <laughs> a codependent requirement to, to go with my no filter. Yeah, I, I think sometimes, especially in business, when there are politics and egos and agendas going on, you have to kind of be aware of those things. And I think that as I go further in my career, I've definitely had instances where I probably should have kept my opinions to myself and that has definitely hindered me. But at the same time, I think I've definitely learned a lot of lessons. And again, I would rather get myself into trouble from being transparent than be dishonest to myself by not being transparent. And by the way, for those listening, when... I say one of Nikki's superpowers is her ability to communicate transparently. I'm not talking about just saying what's on her mind, like Ravi, your glasses look stupid, right? She's not going to say that. And by the way, if you're watching this, 
on YouTube, you'll see that I'm wearing some blue light blockers, people. No, no prescription, just pure lens, all right? So anyway, don't judge me. But Nikki wouldn't say that. What I'm saying is, is speaking from a place of truth and saying the uncomfortable thing that people might be thinking, but in a tactful and empathetic way. So that's how I'm defining it. But that's interesting where you you spoke earlier about you know, you said it's not always worth it picking your battles, but then simultaneously <laughs> saying something and thinking about it later. And I think what's interesting is you mentioned the word ego. Now, somebody once told me that ego stands for everybody's got one. And I find that fascinating, right? Because I think it's really true. So let's take a scenario where, I don't know, maybe you have to collaborate with another team lead but they're coming at you in an aggressive way. There's a lot of ego. They're not listening to you. They're not making you feel heard. It's hard to make them feel heard. What's your go-to for creating a win-win scenario for both parties in an environment like that? Yeah, I think it doesn't happen to me very often, Mm. which I think does say something for starting off the relationship on a level of transparency and genuineness. But when it does happen, I got to go to my Chris Voss techniques, you know, (laughs) and uh, label. So saying something like, it sounds like you're frustrated by the situation. Tell me more about it from your perspective or something like that to try and understand Mm -hmm. where they're coming from, like what's triggering those emotions and Mm. try to get their guard down because you're not going to get anywhere productive. And I certainly know that by matching that energy, it's not going to you know, lead to a resolution. So how can I really understand what's triggering so that we can face it head on and, and move forward? Do you do that with your husband as well? If he says, I don't want to watch that movie, you go, it sounds like you would prefer to watch an action movie, Cody. Am I right? Tell me more. Do you do that? Does it translate into personal? Now, here's my opportunity to say something nice. It, <laughs> it, I definitely do better in business than personal. This is why my husband deserves to get spoiled on his birthday, because he does that to me. <laughs> He's, <laughs> and I don't do it to him nearly as often as I should. That's funny. That's funny. Let's stay on the track of business then. So you engage in labeling and somebody tells you why they're frustrated and why they are communicating in a way which probably is filled with emotional charge. Then what? How do you get them to see your point of view when they are at such a state of high emotions themselves? One of the first things I try to immediately do after you know labeling the motion, asking them to share more of their perspective thanking them for, you know, feeling comfortable enough with me to express those emotions. Cause I definitely think that's a a certain element too, is people aren't going to be honest with people that they don't trust. So if someone is going off, it means that they do trust you on a certain level. So calling that out, trying to find common ground with them Mm. and then repeating it back to them, making sure that they feel 100% heard before then saying, you know, here is another perspective or have you considered this? And not in a way that's, you know, contradictory, but more questioning and presenting an alternative and letting them kind of mull it over and then respond. I think that's been an effective tactic, which 
you know, I can't take credit for it. I read a lot of books. I'm sure a lot of this is from Chris Voss's book. So, gotcha. uh, you know, <laughs> check gotcha. that out. I hear you. I hear you. And what's really interesting, ladies and gents, if you press rewind for a second, that's my rewind function, my noise. What's really interesting about what Nikki said is she spoke about recapping how they felt. And ultimately, it's very similar to recapping the buyer's story, right? So it's no, it's no different. You know, we're having a human to human conversation. We're understanding what their problem is. We're recapping it in their language and we're providing an alternative way of thinking, challenging them in a healthy way and highlighting blind spots. I love that. I love that. And I suppose in scenarios where this has worked for you, what has the outcomes been? Could you talk about that? I like that you mentioned this is what we do with salespeople because this is one or what we do in sales conversations with our prospects. And this is one of the things I really like about sales enablement or sales training is that it really kind of shifted my paradigm in thinking about sales as the science of communication, really. and sales enablement or sales training is really just a level up of sales. In my opinion, it's more challenging because we're selling people on an idea Mm. and on a behavior change. So it's the exact same tactics that you have to use in a sales conversation. It's all about communication. It's all about understanding your counterpart and being able to position things in a way that resonate with them. So you asked for an example and I'm trying to think of a specific one, but it comes up a lot, I would say, in teams of enablement people when I'm working with other enablement people, maybe who are representing a different sales team, whether that be a partner sales enablement team or a customer service enablement team. Those are just some examples. I would definitely also say with a sales leader, if you're as a sales enablement person, we often are a conduit for messages to between different people. So sometimes that means we're communicating a message from corporate to the sales team. And part of getting them to accept that change is listening to them air out their grievances with it and then presenting the angle of why this might be important, why it might benefit them. And then moving forward with the actual adoption. So I'd say that's probably a big one is messages from corporate. <laughs> yeah. And on that point as well of sales leaders that you mentioned, it's funny. I think one of the biggest complaints or pet peeves, if you ask customer success is sales don't get what we do, right? They don't get us. And sales will say customer success, they don't get what we do, right? Everybody feels this lack of well, I suppose this feeling of not being heard, seen, or understood, right? And one of the interesting things that often comes up, in my opinion, what I've seen with enablement is they have to communicate to sales leaders and sellers in a way where they are prescribing certain training, et cetera. They've got to show the story of why it's valuable, but often the pushback can be, yes, but do you know what's going on in our day-to-day conversations, which is similar to that sales and customer success piece. So if somebody is feeling something similar, they're trying to get buy-in from somebody who may feel secretly that "Mm, they don't get me. How do you handle a situation like that? So it's funny that you bring this up. And as I'm reflecting on it in this conversation with you, this is probably 
something that has helped my perspective a lot. And I hope everybody gets a chance to go through something like this, but it's pretty unique. So when I worked at Dish, I became a national trainer and I trained a program called Basecamp. And basically what that was is we took corporate employees all the way from new hire business analysts, second day on the job to the chief marketing officer of the company. We had 16 people in a group, cross-functional, all different levels, all different tenures. And we put them through four weeks of frontline training. So I trained the first week, which was sales. Mm. And then they had two weeks of customer service training where they actually had to take customer service phone calls. And then they had a week of tech training where they had to go on a truck and actually go out and install dishes on people's houses and things. And facilitating the conversations in that classroom was so interesting because there was so much cross-functional representation. And being able to facilitate the conversation in a way that people are willing to ask their questions, even though they know other people in the audience are going to disagree, was fascinating. And we, one of my favorite things is we would, they would say like, oh, why are salespeople selling, you know, this customer who's just going to turn? This isn't the ideal customer that we want. And then challenging back and saying something like, why do we do it? Let's pretend you're the CEO. What would you do instead? And then what is the consequence of that? Let's think through it all the way. It's not as simple as just whatever solution you're proposing. Like I'm challenging you to be responsible for that decision and think about the downstream impact of it. And always, 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 it didn't matter what the topic was. That was just one example. But every single topic, they would say, why don't we just do this instead? And I'd say, you're the CEO. Let's do it. What happens? And every time they'd be like, get to a, a roadblock or a dead end. And they'd be like, well, I don't know. This, the share prices are going down or like, we're losing our customer base. And they'd be like, I guess we can't do that. And it was like, great. Okay. Like, it's not as simple, right? If these answers were easy, then we would do them. It's going to take all of us working together to solve it. And it's going to take all of us understanding from each other's perspectives to solve these problems. So go forth and do that in your life. Cut, pause, or whatever we need to say for me to get your attention. Because before we get back to the show, I have some breaking news. Okay, listen, ladies and gents, feature selling is dead. And story selling is alive because if you really want to build trust, stand out and close more deals in a recession, then you need to try something new so you can drive your company to a world of efficiency and profitability. And that's exactly why I've opened up many slots this year for different companies to partner with me for implementing my story selling framework inside of their sales process. Now, the outcomes are all the good stuff. I'm talking about increasing average order value, collapsing time inside of your sales cycle and driving win rates. But more importantly, transforming your team to sell in a way that really focuses on human connection. And hey, that's what I'm all about. So if you're nodding your head right now, then head on down to www.theraviregiani.com forward slash contact to book your complimentary discovery call to see if there's alignment. And hey, if there is, great. And if there's not, that's cool too. I'll see you on the other side. That's really interesting. And it sounds though, from what I'm hearing, that the exercise of making somebody transport themselves into the other person's shoes or somebody who has to bear the weight of all these decisions, they start to figure out, ah, I need to think about things holistically and not just from my perspective. That's really genius. Do you do much of that in your day-to-day -day role now? It sounds like that's something you've taken with you throughout your career. 
Yeah, definitely. How I do it now, this is one of the things I was thinking about in preparation for this. What what example? One of my favorite questions with sales leaders now, because any sales enablement person will tell you one of the most irritating things we get is manager will come and just say, I need a training on this. And 90% of the time, the resolution to get them from where they are to where they want to be is not a training. That's just not how people learn. That's not how behavior happens. If it's new information, sure, but rarely is that. So I usually come back and my new favorite question is to say, okay, great. What is our goal with the sales team? What do we want them to do? Where are they now? What are they currently doing? And then why do you think they aren't doing that? And usually I have to preface it and say like, it's probably not because they don't want to or they don't care. Why aren't they not doing it? What are the obstacles? And then that challenges salespeople, sales leaders to put themselves in their sales rep shoes and say, oh, well, you know, I guess we've asked them to do a bunch of different things over the past four weeks. Maybe they're confused or they're really busy. They don't have time or they're focusing on this thing when they should be focusing on this thing. So they have to kind of think through what are the actual obstacles. And then that gives me an opening to say, maybe the answer isn't training. Maybe the answer is a contest to drive behavior change. Maybe the answer is a coaching program. Maybe the answer is a road show. Maybe the answer is manager enablement so that they can continue the conversation ongoing with their, with their sales reps by challenging them to really think through the root cause. I think it opens their mind to the possibility that there could be different solutions. For those listening who might not fully grasp that maybe the difference between coaching and training and your initial response of, well, training won't necessarily create that behavioral change. Could you lend your perspective on why you believe that? Yeah, typically training is to address a knowledge gap. So it would mean that they don't know. So a great example would be prospecting. It's something that every sales trainer, every sales rep, every sales manager It's probably on their top to do to focus on improving prospecting, which is a super vague idea. Training isn't going to fix that because most people know what they should be doing from a prospecting perspective. They Mm. theoretically know Mm. in their head the healthy habits. So when you have a one-time training and you say, here's what you do to be good at prospecting, they usually go, oh, okay, that's a great idea. And then because of the forgetting curve, 90% of what you just talked about goes in one ear, out the other. It's not their fault. It's not because they don't care. It's just because their human brains work that way. So what am I actually going to do to keep that top of mind and reinforce it until it becomes a habit? That is the difference between training and coaching. Coaching is an ongoing self-reflective exploration activity and a focus on behavior change, whereas training is just kind of a one-time information transfer. It's a really interesting definition of both. And I like it. I like it. I really do. And it's funny. Isn't it funny when, because as you were talking, what's really, what, what came up for me is when it comes to creating change and building trust with people, whether it's coaching, training, whatever it might be, whatever we're prescribing, it doesn't always boil down to, in my opinion anyway, what we say, it's how we say it. Whether it boils down to the intonation, the pause, the emphasis, the tone, right? How do you specifically shift the way you say something to influence the 
impact of the end outcome. So let's give another scenario. Let's say if you're talking to a sales leader who's aggressive, who's like, Nikki, I need this training. I need this training. If you responded back with, no, you don't, Rav. No, you don't, right? It's going to... So what's your go-to for communicating with a leader like that who's emotionally charged, coming at you with their opinions and demands? How do you communicate? What, how do you say what you want to say? A couple of different things, but I'm going to reflect what you said earlier, which is that a lot of this is what we teach people in selling. So for example, you get a prospect who's coming in saying, I need this, I need that. Any seller is going to come back and say, I'm, I'm not just going to say, okay, here you go. Sign here. Like that's the exact same thing with sales leaders. So typically reflecting back, right? Mirroring and saying like, okay, I hear you. I hear you want this. Sometimes I'll start it with taking off the edge. Like we can do that. But before we do, I'd like to ask some questions to better understand exactly the way we do in a discovery call. Like to ask some questions to better understand the challenges and what's going on. So we can come up with the best solution. Is that okay? When you ask people their permission, you know, their consent to do something, it is amazing. So many people are scared to do that when it comes to even a discovery call or a cold call or anything. But getting their consent, people are very, very rarely going to say no. Even if they're charged up, even if they're angry, they're not going to say no. And as soon as you give them that choice to say no, even though they don't take it, they feel more empowered. So that's almost always my go-to is like, okay, I hear you. Can we explore further? And they always say yes. In the way that you just said that though, I hear you. Can we explore further? Would you say exactly like that? Or would you match their excitedness, aggressiveness, (laughs) or would you just literally you know, boil it right down? Would it be slow? What would the volume be like? How would you intentionally shift the way you're saying that sentence? Yeah, definitely not match their volume. I think it's funny that you say this because, so I think this is, I don't do this right off the bat when I first meet someone, Mm -hmm. but once you get to know me a little bit, I make jokes often when situations are a little bit charged. And so you're that person. So, so, <laughs> so I know that's going to happen. So I think this is also something else is that a lot of people think they get intimidated by a sales leader or by an executive at a company. Salespeople do this when they're talking to a buyer persona that they feel like is really, you know, oh, this is like a CEO. Like I am, you know, intimidated by them. And people are people. So if you just talk to them like people, they will talk to you like a person usually. So I I try to set that dynamic with them before the time comes to like have to use it. And just so usually if a sales leader comes in and they're really mad, I'm like, whoa, okay. (laughs) Okay. I get that you're really angry. Like I might say it like that where it's a little bit funny and maybe takes the edge off. You know, they might not like it. But again, if you have that relationship with the person, then it It's usually okay. But the point is you don't match with anger. You come back, you give them the impression that you understand how angry they are and that you're, you want to help. You're not here to exacerbate the issue. I love that. I love that. You know, it's funny. I don't know what your take is on this and I'd love to hear it, but I think one of the most charismatic things that a person could do in that moment is be very slow to react 
be very calm in their tone, be very focused on listening and really not matching that anger. It would bring everything down to such a calm level. But it's funny when we're in those scenarios and emotions are running wild, it's so easy to let our emotions get the better of us, right? Yep. And that's the hardest thing about sales. And I think to extend it even further about chain, like behavior change and training or coaching is that we are constantly trying to override our natural instinctual way of reacting. Mm. Like the way that our brains have evolved over time, we're in order to be a good communicator, you're always battling against that. So it's really important to keep in mind that what can you do to take a breath, right? Take a pause to get yourself out of that emotional brain and in, back into that logical brain so that you actually have the clarity of thought to apply the practices that you know you need to to be successful. What's your go-to for calming down that noise in your head and really being able to not come from a place of ego, but from a place of your authentic self when communicating? One of the biggest things for me was I'm a big sticky note person. Are so you? when yeah. I first got, when I, yeah, look, see right now I have several sticky notes on my, I love it. You can see all, <laughs> imagine what yeah, it looks yeah. like, just sticky notes because I, I don't, I don't re rely on myself to remember, but mm -hmm. I had a sticky note when I first started taking sales seriously and like, okay, I need to actually be conscientious about this was take a breath for two seconds. And if you literally before responding, stop and just one Mississippi two Mississippi, that's all it takes a lot of times to switch your brain. I love the idea of taking a pause, having a, literal long long breathe in and breathe out and literally calming the nervous system it's a it's a beautiful beautiful strategy my friend and you know what's funny i don't know if you find this but i find when we are in the moment and emotions are running high it's often hard to it's hard to allow yourself the room to do that because and also be silent because you're worried about not being heard. So you're both cutting each other off and nobody's willing to be silent in that moment. And I often feel like if you're worried about being cut off, you haven't done a good enough job of commanding that room and really portraying your presence. What do you think? Yeah, I agree 100%. In fact, I this was a really cool feature. We don't have Chorus now anymore because Oracle recording policies, but yeah. They had a cool feature that actually told you the amount of time after someone finished speaking before you started talking. And I thought that was like mind blowing because <laughs> it is not very long, <laughs> newsflash, unless you really are intentional about it. So this is also another thing that I think is really interesting about training. I coach other enablement people on this all the time where they ask a question. And then they're just so worried that someone isn't going to answer. So they give it one second before they start answering their own question or elaborating or asking another question. I'm like, just pause. Just even if it's three to five seconds, it could be awkwardly long. Just do it. And I promise you, someone will jump in. But you have to be willing to, going back to the topic of ego, like put your ego aside and create that space for someone else to 
share. See what I did there? I was, yeah. Was that good? Was that fun? See, and it weirded me out. That's so interesting. That really is. Was there a specific number that you would look to? For example, okay, it's got to be one second, two second that you would train reps against, or was it just a feeling? I think it depends on if it's an issue or not. I right. Generally, two seconds is a good rule of thumb because mm. two seconds doesn't sound like a long time, but in a conversation, it is actually a pretty long time. And it gives them, here's the other thing in sales. And even with, you know, when I'm talking to a sales leader, like I want them to keep talking. So if I pause, they are going to have that trigger like, oh, I need to fill this. And like, that's good for me. The more that they want to share, the better it is for me. And even if they don't feel that, then I know I'm not interrupting them. Then I have given myself a chance to be logical in my response as well. So it's really a win-win. Mm, I love that. I do. I do. Nikki Lusk, I like that. That's a golden, that's a golden little nugget you shared at the end. I suppose I'm curious. Have you got any questions for me? I let me think about that. What do you want to tell me about you? What do I want to tell you about me? What do I want to tell you about me? Oh my God. My daughter is finally sleeping through the night after seven months. I'm talking 7, 7 a, uh, p.m. till 7 a.m. I feel like a legend, Nikki. There's no need for eye cream these days. I feel like a legend. <laughs> I feel like a legend. But listen, my friend, I appreciate you. And thank you for sharing some of your wisdom and golden nuggets on this call. And as you know, this show is called The Influential Communicator, right? So I'm curious to know for you, who is somebody that you personally look up to as an influential communicator and why? Okay, I'm ready for this question. I told <laughs> you I was so worried. I was so worried. But I, I, you said at the end of the other podcast, you always ask this question, so I knew it was coming up. Okay. I got my answer. Hit I me. had to think about it all night. It kept me up last night thinking about it. But I have, I have, I know my answer. Okay. Which is, at my former company, formerly GTM Hub, now called Quantive, she, I don't, honestly, I don't know what her title is now. Her name is Jenny Harold, And when I left, her title was Chief Evangelist, mm. which just goes to show, I think, what a powerful communicator she is. So you should definitely check out Jenny Hurl at Quantum. What was so good about the way she, well, what was so magnetic in your eyes about the way she communicated? I think her passion and zest, mm. particularly for the topic, but really for anything, really is infectious. You just yeah. can't talk to her and not be interested. <laughs> and she's a she's a great listener. She really wants to understand. She's curious. She's thirsty for knowledge. And then she takes that and and in turn becomes passionate about whatever it is that you're sharing. So I think having her own passion and her own things to share, but also being passionate about whatever you're passionate makes her really a, a powerful communicator. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. nothing better than hanging out with somebody who's a great listener 
right? It really makes you take a look at yourself in the way that you are actively and reflectively listening. So kudos to you, Jenny. Kudos to you. So ladies and gents, you're probably thinking, where can I go to get more of Nikki's energy? So Nikki, where can people go to get more of your energy? That's a great question. I am around in pretty much any enablement group that you join. So that's where I really do kind of like, I don't have a podcast or anything. I'm not that cool, but I do occasional webinars and things like that. So check out the Enablement Squad, Women in Sales Enablement, Sales Enablement Collective, Sales Enablement Society. I'm in all of those conversations and I would love to talk to any of you. There you have it, ladies and gents. There you have it. Nikki Lusk. Now, here's what I'd like you to do, people. If you've enjoyed this episode, I don't want you to skip to the next episode. I want you to do something for me right now, okay? I want you to take a snapshot of your, I suppose, a snapshot on your phone of where you're listening to this right now. And I want you to head on down to LinkedIn and tag myself and Nikki in a post and let us know what did you find the most impactful out of today's episode, right? What is one specific thing that you've taken away from today that you can actually implement in the next 24 hours? I want to know, we want to know, and I'll see you next week, same time, same place for another episode, all right? Peace. I have a question for you, my friend. And that question is, is what would it take to have you subscribe to the Influential Communicator podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Because I tell you what, my friend, my big mission is to help B2B sellers and all listeners of this show sell more by becoming influential storytellers and communicators without, without suppressing their personality and disowning their value. So, hey, the more the word gets out about this podcast, the more people we can gather on this mission. So if you could support me, then hey, that would be dope. And if not, that's dope too. Either way, I got love for you. All right. I'll see you on the other side.